This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 430. That's no moon. It's the moon. Hello and welcome again to another edition of GamesAtWork.biz. My name is Michael Martin. I'm one of your three co-hosts joined by two other co-hosts. So we're all together a trio, I suppose, of co-hosts for GamesAtWork.biz. Let me kick things over to Mr. Michael Rowe. Michael, how are you doing today? I am doing peachy keen and excited to have some fun talking today with our other co-host, Andy Piper. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Yes, London is dark and dreary for the middle of summer, but it uh, shouldn't be unusual to too many people. Uh, I'm doing well. Yeah, looking forward to talking about what we've seen this week. Awesome. Well, well, we're going to start with a, um, a darker place than usual, maybe the even the dark side of a place, perhaps. Um, there were reports in the past week or so of a number of attempts to land on the moon. And um, we have a congratulations to share with our friends and neighbors in India of becoming the fourth country to land on the moon. And Michael, I know this has got to be one of your exciting moments being as tuned into space things as you are. Uh, what's your take on the momentousness of this occasion well, or I, momentousness I, I, of this occasion? I, I, ooh, boo. Uh, ooh. I, I, I think this is awesome, especially where they landed, right? That's, that's the more interesting part to me. Uh, I mean, the fact, yes, they're one of the four countries that have finally landed on the moon, uh, but landing on uh, the su- southern polar area uh, where we believe there is water, uh, frozen ice water, you know, uh, and uh, so there should be some really, really cool science f- coming from this. And I don't think we have in the in the links that we're working off of, but I saw a video this morning of the lander actually leaving the craft and rolling out onto the regolith. Oh, neat. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can cool. find it and I'll throw it in the show notes for everybody because uh, very cool. Absolutely. So Definitely. a ma- ma- major moment in history for sure. And let's uh, keep our fingers crossed that uh, water is found because that would mean all kinds of uh, interesting things for next steps of using the moon for um, a, a moon base, maybe even a, a first of a kind, like a, an alpha one, perhaps. You never know. Um, moving along. Mo- moving along. Oh, <laughs> moving sorry, along. I will. Oh. I will stop. I will stop. stop. I promise. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> we have we have a number of articles that are in and around games, which is good because that is kind of in our title, and some hardware and other related stuff. So we're going to start with. So on the Vision Pro side from Apple, there's some interesting new news that's coming forward one of them from uh, developer.apple.com that's talking about the experience of the ceo of flexibits um, experiencing his software in the vision pro experience for the first time Uh, where would you guys like to start with this because there's like six different ways this particular article can take us well i i found it interesting that they're they're starting to put these articles out this early um Usually, these would come out much closer to hardware availability, <laughs> uh, mm. assuming uh, that was the case. And uh, 
I guess what they're trying to do is to say in the similar to the controlled environment uh, that the press had at WWDC, right? But now developers actually able to test their own code and see it run. So, so it's still a controlled environment, but it's trying to get more, I don't want to say realistic expectations from people, but I guess that's kind of where it is, uh, showcasing that, yes, it does exist. Um, yes, people are being called in. I've not been called in, in case you're wondering. Uh, <laughs> they don't want wasted time? Come hey, on. but you did. Hey, I submitted it. But you... I submitted it. <laughs> so. It's interesting, though, because Flexibits, obviously, they are a well-known developer, and uh, <clears throat> other people may not have the same level of uh, public awareness, but they also have uh, calendaring and time management software. So, in fact, that's part of what the story is about. So, yep. But it's uh, well, it's, that, that, it's interesting. I'm 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 glad to see it, and uh, th there are other unofficial leaks coming out of what people are seeing as. I think the one that I saw earlier this week was uh, one of the developers actually went into the about screen and saw a one terabyte storage identifier on the device. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. So yep. so those are the things that I think are more interesting. Uh, having said that, uh, you know, mentioning that out loud may cause them not to be <laughs> submittable on the store. Mm. Yikes. That, that could be problematic for them, wouldn't it? Um, the things that I took away from this article and I was uh, really excited about was just the whole notion of what is the killer app going to be? We've talked a little bit about that here already. So bringing in existing developers who've taken the time and care and attention to develop in the iOS and iPad OS environment like Fantastical has, you know, Andy, to your point, um, and examples like Slack too, which was another um, uh, example in the same blog post here. How does the user experience of the Vision Pro lend itself to more of a killer app versus looking at something in the same way? So from a calendaring perspective, one of the um, uh, pain points that I know I've experienced over time is being able to look at more real estate, if you will, of a calendar and be able to maneuver around it more effectively. Um, I typically use Fantastical and other calendaring type apps on an i i phone as opposed to an iPad, which is a different user experience. And when you look at something for several days or a week, um, you're constrained in how you look at it. So here you've got an unlimited canvas and the same sort of thing with Slack and threaded conversations. Um, my experience with Slack predominantly is on Mac OS, um, sometimes on iPad OS and the notion of being able to navigate in three dimensions through threads and related information feels like there could be some opportunity there for, um, uh, decision tree type of experiences or, um, uh, oh gosh, I'm, I'm losing the right terminology here. Um, uh, mapping, sort of uh, detailed vision mind, mapping. Mind mapping, right? Mind mapping, thank you. Yeah. That's, yeah. Wh that's where I was trying to go. Mm -hmm. So there could be some really neat things that now the experience allows it to be that wasn't before, while at the same time taking full advantage of, Michael, you've made this point like umpteen times, you write the code once and it's now deployable across the multiplicity of Apple ecosystems and 
and that's an enormous benefit of being in yeah. the Apple ecosystem. Yeah, I'm 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 actually surprised that that you're using Fantastical. I I used it for a registered user for uh, a while until our day job disabled my ability to include that calendar in it, right? Because I want a single calendar that is my personal calendars, my subscribed calendars from other groups, as well as my work calendar. And really the only option due to our, our lockdown uh, is to use the Apple calendar, uh, which I didn't want to use because Fantastical was fantastic. But as soon as I could no longer add my work calendar into it due to our own restrictions at the day job, um, I, I stopped paying for it. So um, I can imagine. Well, you, should, you shouldn't be surprised with that because I keep those two things separate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> now that, that's a problem. Yeah, uh, because it is a problem. Now that's I have the problem to manage my personal calendar together. and my work calendar, yeah. but I keep them separate. Yeah. So that's Well, my I keep them solution. separate, but I want to see them together. And I guess if you could have multiple calendar apps in a three-dimensional space laying on top of each other, you might, you know, with the translucent view, you might have the ability to get back that feature. Uh, but uh, probably not, given uh, the what I've seen of the architecture so far. The other interesting part, though, to your point, is the difference between the simulator and the physical device, right? You... Mm. Any, any device that is immersive, you cannot simulate unless it's immersive in a way to really understand how your application is going to behave. Uh, uh, so l lots of awesomeness potentially to yep. come. So we'll have to experience it directly. But you found um, a really cool Vision Pro thing this week, too. I, I did, and and we'll we'll keep it short here because <laughs> nobody really knows what it does. Um, <laughs> it, it there is an, a Vision Pro accessory that is being described as a digital stone. So I got a what rock. could this stone? Yeah. <laughs> cue cue the band. Um, uh, what what it kind of reminded me of a little bit more, and I am not a golfer, uh, but it reminded me kind of where if you were putting for your hole and you got to put a marker down to reflect where the ball was so that other people now can play through or around or whatever it is. Um, it, it kind of looks like a physical placeholder for virtual stuff based on the description of this article. And um, maybe there's some, some interesting use cases and validity to that. So when you take off your vision pro headset, you kind of remember where the digital thing was and where it might appear again later. Um, I don't think you'll trip over it. You can just use AirPods. I have like 30 AirPods well, so you can put all the applications as AirPods around, uh, well, around the Well, AirTags, right? AirTags, Air thank you. Yeah, Air I, I mean, they, there's references to here to the to a new version of the AirTag, which uh, would be something similar. Um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely interesting. I think the statement from the analyst, I think uh, that this is all part of a sort of this broader spatial computing vision is, is really interesting. So... It, it could be that, again, we are really genuinely at the, the dawn of all the, the, the entry point to something that goes much broader. Um, and I think that will challenge a lot of people's thinking, including mine, about the current, what we've seen currently of the device and mm -hmm. uh, what, you know, whether it, it might be worth the value that they're, they're putting on it initially. We shall see. Yeah, but, but it does seem like they're being frustratingly broad in their patenting for people to read the digital tea leaves at the moment well the, the the interesting discussion i heard on this was um since there 
is no hand device like you have on the the quest and the quest 2 right or or some of the mm -hmm. other ones where you have a controller in your hand maybe this thing could give you that tactile feel of something when you're trying to show people something in a virtual space right that you're not just holding your hand out in midair. You actually physically have something in your hand <laughs> that it can track um, as, a, as another use case. And I thought that was kind of interesting, uh, but defeats the whole purpose of excellent hand tracking. <laughs> Hmm. It, it it does but it but it gives you it gives you a physical thing yep. that can be mirrored into the digital world which um if we go a little star warsy on you for a moment there's a version of a visual communicator in star wars that you would hold in the palm of your hand and it creates a hologram of the person that you're talking to so could the stone be a representation of okay i'm gonna now interact with a thing that isn't here <laughs> I don't know. We're we're making up a bunch of stuff. We don't know. Well, that's the um, whole purpose of the show, right? But it's is to make them up. But a bunch it's going to be fun. Sure. <laughs> All right. Wild so speculation. now, now let's go to the games. Uh, let's <laughs> let's go to the idea of creating games. Yeah. And there was a great article here written by um, a guy named uh, Gerge Orsaz, and he talks about what it takes to actually build a game. Right. So, um, yes, it's like software development um, and there are classic elements to software development, but there are some special considerations and ideas about building a game. And, and Michael, you're probably of the three of us. You're the one who's gone the farthest towards building out a game in, well, in our history. When, when I read this article, I, I went back to thinking of the game I tried to develop. <laughs> right. And mm -hmm. I actually, you know. I started by putting the, the the paper game together and the rules that I wanted on that, uh, and actually did a play test when I discovered it wasn't any fun, uh, and so that was the end of the game. But I had started writing code for it, uh, and as a one-person shop, um, these rules don't quite apply because what I really enjoyed about the 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 article was the discussion of kind of the team-based nature of how yeah. development teams are structured in game development. That was interesting. And then the the release cycle, right? Uh, I'm, I'm actually in my day job right now in the middle of a release cycle for something that we will be releasing any day now. Uh, I can't say any day now because it's, you know, we don't announce our release dates. Uh, <laughs> oh, I thought there was another song and we don't have the license rights to that. Yes, yes, that's it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's it's a lot of work and things get kind of crazy towards the end. Uh, but in game development, the craziness is real crazy because if you think about the complexity of modern games, just like the complexity of modern enterprise apps or operating systems or anything that there's there's not a single person who knows the whole thing. Right. I mean, let's face it. Yeah, it's complicated. It's big, broad. Yeah. It's it, not only that, but the interactions are are driven by um, messages or or communication between objects or services or, or whatever, and getting that whole broad picture put together around, in this case, a story. <laughs> yeah. That also has to have a beginning and end in the middle uh, or or an adventure or whatever. It just adds so many additional layers of complexity uh, that that it's interesting to see this set of articles uh, that 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 are written here to kind of get you to understand the similarities and more importantly, all the differences in game development. I, and I thought it'd be interesting for our audience. Yeah, I mean, Gage is a very well-known um 
person. He's he's written uh, he writes the Pragmatic Engineer blog and uh, definitely worth a follow in various uh, locations as well. Um, it's yes, it's very nicely written. I think this is very clearly uh, structured blog post. It's a lengthy read, but it's really does help you to understand. And also gives you a sense for the scale and scope of modern games. Yeah. Uh, because we, you know, you can look at the indie games and one person ideas that you typically find on sites like itch, but also on itch, you'll find the, the more expansive things as well. And when you get into teams and prototyping and art and music and all of the other things that come together into a game. Uh, and also, you know, there's a section here on uh, feature creep and, you know, needing <laughs> product management and things. So um, there's there's a ton of uh, useful aspects that are worth thinking about. I loved his point around the need of about engineering fun into the mix. And that is a, a, a little bit of a different thing than uh, what you might do if you were engineering a, a environment like a Slack or Fantastical or something like that. I mean, obviously we'd like to be engaging, but there's a difference between fun. And that's <laughs> what playtesting is all about, right, right. Michael? Um, so now moving into a little bit of the hardware side of things, um, we have an article about something that is ending or just about to be ending. Um, Microsoft has announced that the connect developer kits are going to be available through the end of October. So if you're, if you're wanting itching to get one, now's your time to do it or until supplies last, uh, so that you can take advantage of that. And, um, they do say you can continue to use them, uh, quote unquote, without disruption. Um, but it is uh, coming to a close. So you have to wonder uh, what might Microsoft be having in mind next beyond the Connect developer kit that exists today. Well, I, I wonder about I, that. I, I, I read this article and it was, it, I took it down a slightly different path. It's like, we're gonna stop making this device and you, there's some other companies that are making yeah. some kit that you might be able to use in this place. Uh, I worry about when a, when a company has a platform that leverages this device and stops making the device. Mm -hmm. Are they going to continue to keep the APIs and platform for it updated and current and adding more features? Or are they saying, okay, w we've had fun with it. We dropped it once before, right? <laughs> uh, well, and now there's going to be something else and we'll let this one slowly degrade on the vine from an API perspective. Yes, but, or yes and, depending on which way you look at it. I think that when we talk about them having discontinued the Connect in the past, it's been discontinued very much in the gaming, in the tied to the console context, uh, which was a shame. I mean, I've, I've owned both of the uh, Xbox Connects and they were, they were nice pieces of hardware. I've never really had the space to take advantage of them. But, uh, you know, that, that 3D print I shared not so long ago of myself that was done in a, uh, in the back of a, uh, uh, a maker space, uh, at a conference, um, was made using a, a connect that somebody sort of held yeah. up and waved around me to, to do the, the depth mm -hmm. mapping. Um, the, the kit that we're talking about here is the Azure connect developer kit. So it's tied to, to Azure and the cloud computing capabilities and the, uh, really focuses on the depth camera module. That depth camera module is available in other devices. Ironically, one of them being from a company called Meta, M-E-H-T-A. Um, 
So, uh, Meh. you know, <laughs> I, I, I think that there's, there's no specific reason to think that they would get rid of the heart of the, the, the software back end. But I take your point that uh, if they've lost interest or lost interest in manufacturing the hardware, presumably because of, you know, costs or demand or whatever it might be, then there's a good good chance that that might be something that they, they trim in the future. Uh, I think that computer vision is something that continues to be of interest to lots of people in lots of contexts, AR, VR, XR being some of them. But we should see uh, what well, they, the future they, is. They, they cut back on their investment in their um, AR hardware too. Well, th- yes. I mean, it's it's hard to keep track of everything that's happening there. Um, the, the Hololens two is. I'm just taking a look at the uh, the blog post by Swati Meta, the, <laughs> the the namesake on Microsoft's site here too. So, um, it seems to suggest here that the depth camera module in Hololens uh, was also provided. Well, it says it's part of the Azure Connect development kit, right. developer kit, which I guess is this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> So you have to imagine that for people that are doing development work for the Hololens, uh, you know it, what's their their next set of options, and there are a variety of uh, of ways of of thinking about how that's going to work for the future too. That's so, so, so something to keep keep in mind here. Um, let's go in the wayback machine to a bit longer when we're talking about hardware that has has since kind of sort of ended, and Atari. Um, has had the 2600 for a quite long time and for the low low price of uh, 130 129.99 you can get yourself a video computer system from atari uh looks like with a um 10 games in one cartridge so this is so this is a this is the atari 2600 plus now the interesting thing about it is that specifically that it takes the original cartridges and not only that it takes right. the original 2600 cartridges it will also take the uh, 7800 as well Uh, Mm -hmm. and that new device will obviously do hdmi and widescreen and all the things that you uh get uh that you expect today plus you get the 10 in one game cartridge with a load of their classics you just use the the term video computer system and they there is the atari vcs as well which is uh a, a thing um that is essentially a a full-on PC in a v, in a in an Atari sort of game system style um, box um, that they also have been selling. I think they're kind of they've pulled back on manufacture of it, but uh, I have one. I know some of our listeners have them. Um, it's fun, but uh, you know because it's as well as the, the the actual operating system they provide, which kind of pushes you towards their uh, games. You can install anything you want on it. So I also have Linux running on mine uh, I, for I, the occasions I pull it out. I actually have from 2005, 2006, the previous version of this, which was an Atari 2600 with built-in games. You could not plug cartridges in. Right. And it plugged right. into your TV and it had two controllers and you could so we've got we've like got 100 that. other classics on it. We've gone through that, that sort of phase and era of... You know the 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 NES Mini, the all the all the sort of classic consoles coming back in modern form, but you know, four X shrunk, and you know you, you can't plug games into them. It's got the games already installed. You just plug it in the TV. So so we've gone through that sort of 
retro era we seem to be coming to a you know let's actually let you take the original assets you have and play them again that i cool. saw a, re- a good uh there's a tv show called um retro electronics workshop or retro something workshop on on tv in the uk at the moment and one of the episodes of that was uh the electronics guy they've been finding one of these the original 2600s uh in a you know in a dusty uh a dusty market and and they re- they brought back that back to life which was, which was also yeah. really cool uh retro electro workshop is the name of the show um cool. oh so, let's throw that in the show notes too that, that yeah, sounds like it'll be a fun thing to look at it's it's a bit frustrating to watch because it's a lot of ads and a lot of repeating itself but mm. um yeah it's a bit fun to to see a couple of people still re- restoring older older things but if you don't want to restore older things then you can make something completely new and that kind of looks a bit like an atari yeah it does it's um it, except that it's made out of wood to me it looked like a typewriter <laughs> it looked like a perfect typewriter uh and i think that's what the aesthetic and the aim was so this is exactly uh a gentleman called keegan mcnamara who's i think in his mid-20s who uh decided to go ahead and build a beautiful looking computer, a single kind of purpose computer um, that, as Michael says, looks a little bit like a typewriter, but made out of wood. Um, it's limited in its capabilities. It runs Emacs, as far as I can understand it. It lets you kind of uh, type on a, on a small but, but nice looking screen. It's got kind of a leather hand rest and he's hand carved it all and stuff. But he's actually starting a business out of this and, and is building some of these for others for their special purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so um, he's building one that's pretty much for writing, right? Not, not mm-hmm. just Emacs, but uh, with with only a few ports open on the internet side, right? Um, so uh, what turned into from a summer hobby into a, a business. Now, I, I don't want to ask the price because... As any artisan will, when you watch him build this thing, it's significant amount of effort. the The components themselves are probably not very expensive. The wood was that was six hundred dollars worth of wood, uh, but um, it's it's the effort and the artistry that's going to cost a lot. It will cost a lot, and it looks like he's only on his second one so far. The one he built for himself, and now the one for someone else. So talk about hand done, right? Yep. Alrighty, um, we are getting close on time, uh, but we've got a couple of other uh, block-related things here, maybe to touch on fast. Or are, are there one or two things you guys want to say before we close shop? I today? think there's just a couple of retro-related things. So I came across uh, Lego Manic Miners, which was an old game from the '90s. I think that uh, somebody's re- or possibly early 2000s that somebody's recreated, and uh, you can you can get on itch now. Uh, which looks really fun. The other one that I, I know that Michael uh, Rowe and I were excited about is the announcement of a 4K remaster of Star Wars Dark Forces, one of the Lucas uh, Arts games, um, which is basically Doom, Star Wars Doom. It's very very yeah, cool. That's exactly uh, what it was. <laughs> really looking forward to that one coming uh, coming out and uh, being able to replay that. Uh, it's been it's been quite a while since uh, since I enjoyed that one. Yep, and uh, the only thing I would add into that is uh, I did find a, an interesting song from uh, the band Tenacious D on, you know, don't have time to play video games anymore. That uh, explains the difference between a video game and a, a piece of history that you need to learn. <laughs> Loved it. That was super fun. 
All right. Well, team, we'll put these into the show notes, wrap them up, publish them out, and hopefully you will all enjoy it so much so that you'll send us your links and things you want us to talk about and things you're interested for us to explore in more detail on the next version of gameswork.biz. See ya. Bye. You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork underscore biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Music